Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. I'm Angela Brown, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for K-12, and I'll be your host for this week. If you listened to our last episode this month, you know that this December, Will and I are taking a different approach with the podcast by answering listener questions to help you get to know your hosts a bit better. In our last episode, you heard from me, and in this episode, you'll get to hear from Will, who is our Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed and my co-host for the podcast. Welcome to the other side of the microphone, Will. Thank you, Angela. Longtime listener, first time <laughs> caller. It's just exciting to be here. I'm sure you're you're having quite the fan moment on the. On the it podcast. is, you know. I I feel I started listening back on episode one, uh, and it's just been such a such a joy. It's great to be here. I love it. It's great to have you. <laughs> so I have not gotten to ask you these questions yet. So I'm going to hit you with the first two that we ask all of our guests on the podcast here. First of all, what is something that you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? This is fun. It's it's strange having the tables turned on me here, but <laughs> there's a lot of things I think everyone says, you know, I, I try a lot of things and most of them fail, uh, <laughs> but you learn something and you know, I tried a new recipe for rolls for Thanksgiving and those absolutely failed. I wound up oh, with hockey pucks. So no, but Claire helped make them. So she was able to take some of the some of the fall for that, too. But <laughs> they still tasted good from my pre higher ed days. So before going to back to my alma mater, Manchester University and and working in admissions, I was a high school teacher. There's a lot of things I tried there that didn't work when you're trying to teach chemistry and physics to kids who may not necessarily love it or be that interested. You know, there's lots of things you try to try and reach them. I would try all sorts of, of different tactical uh, applications of things. I wanted everything to be very hands-on. Uh, that way, you know, you get some from the notes, you get some from the reading that no one was doing. Uh, you get some from the practice problems. But if we could do an example of something in a lab, you know, we do uh, one of the things I, I worked on just talking about safety of I, I would have two clear vials. I said, OK, so how do we know these are actually safe? You know, th this is something that could be a household chemical situation. You know, I, I put a flame over both of them. One, nothing because it was just air in that bottle. The other one I had filled with ethanol. Oh boy. So it's, yeah. So <laughs> you open the stopper, you put it in, you get like this rocket engine blast out the top. So it, it was a lot of trial and error. And some things like that actually reached people. Some did not. You know, there were times I was teaching a, a integrated chemistry and physics. And I don't know if they have that in every state or if it's the same in every state. But in Indiana, it's basically eighth grade science retaught to juniors and seniors. Like the textbook is the same with a different label on it. Wow. These were kids who had no interest in the sciences. You know, yeah. so trying to find ways to get them engaged. I would say 90% of what I tried failed. You know, you're just trying, OK, well, what if we teach a lesson this way instead? Or what if we do group work for this for this lesson plan and see if if we can get them to engage with each other? And so there's a lot of failures like that. But I think what I learned from that aspect and that I carried over when I, when I ran social media then, too, is that it never matters what you want to say. It only matters what your audience needs and wants to hear. Because if I stand here and I talk to you all day and you know I could, you know, if I'm just blasting information, it's just trying to drink from a fire hose and you don't care about any of it, you're just going to wind up irritated, right? Yeah. But yeah. if I'm trying things slightly different ways and I'm giving you the information you care about, something that's interesting, something that's engaging, 
you know, that's something that you can sit and talk to someone for hours and not realize it. Right. And you've probably had conversations like that too. Absolutely. And I I think that's such a great marketing takeaway. That's always Mm -hmm. the hat that I'm wearing. Right. But I think that sometimes for schools, we have to stop and remember that just because we have something to say doesn't mean that that's what the audience wants to hear. And that's where it's really important to actually listen to that feedback and monitor your data, make refinements where, where needed and to take that time to make sure that the things that you're saying are actually resonating. Yep. Yep. And, and I know the listeners can't, can't see this, but you know, Angela says marketing hat very literally. She has one of those Dr. Seuss hats (laughs) that says marketing on it right now. So just a little behind the scenes here, (laughs) I think more recent failures. I'm, I'm someone who can just brainstorm and idea dump. And I just have documents of things. Ooh, what if we tried this? What if we did that? I think something that I've, I'm still trying to learn and still trying to perfect. I'm very good at starting ideas and kind of pitching things saying, well, what if we did this? What if we tried that? But when you're trying that with 50 different things and everyone has different priorities, not everything's going to go anywhere. Yeah. It's a lot of, okay, let's throw 50 things in the air and see what someone else wants to snap up and let's run with that. There's just a lot of, a lot of little ideas that are still sitting on paper that, you know, I don't know that they'll ever go anywhere, but they're, they're hanging out. To be fair though, I would say that for better or for worse, working in schools will kind of train you to do that. <laughs> so yeah. there, yep. that might be the, the risk recovering school employee <laughs> piece of you. Cause I know yeah. that I have certainly been in those meetings where a million ideas end up on a whiteboard and then mm-hmm nothing happens. So that's, I I wouldn't give yourself too much credit for that. That (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the big difference now is things aren't just dying in committee. Uh, They're just dying for lack of, lack of time. Right. Time, bandwidth, all of that is very real. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we used to, to do this when I was able to get, so going back to back in the old days, um, (laughs) when I was writing social media, when I moved into more of the the strategy role and we had just an absolutely incredibly talented social media manager, the person who actually did did all the groundwork. We would have, I think it was every six months, just these giant brain dumps, get out the big whiteboard and, okay, let's just toss every crazy idea we want to throw at it. And then we would pull from that for the next six months and see, okay, what worked, what didn't. And then we would throw another batch up there and there were just documents filled with ideas that never even got off the ground just because, you know, we would have a board filled with things and you only have six months. So you try a few things here and there, you try a series, but same thing, you know, enrollment that you might want to try this type of outreach. You might want to try this type of event. You know, you can't do every single thing you want to try because you only have so much time, so many students, so many staff. So Yeah. And I think that's the positive flip side of that, right? You know, it's it's good to make space to have those moments where you can just explode with ideas, even mm-hmm. if some of those things don't go anywhere. It allows everybody to be creative and have a voice. And it really encourages a culture of ideation and creativity, which mm-hmm. is something that all schools need, even if you have people who aren't intuitively 
you know, in that mindset, it's, it's a good way to come up with new ideas and to make sure that you're constantly moving forward and, Mm -hmm. and being creative. And it's actually a great segue into the next question, which is (laughs) (laughs) what practices do you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? Yeah. I, I always look for the tangents, you know, what are, if I'm working on this project, what's something that's related, but not the same thing. I don't like best practices, honestly. Uh, that might be controversial, but what works really well at one place isn't going to work the same everywhere. So I look for what are the promising practices? What are the process? And that that's the root of the whole podcast here, right? What yeah. are the processes? Not what is the program? What is the email you sent? What is this one thing so that everyone else can just copy paste? What is the process that got you there? Because that way you will find out this similar process, the similar program that works for you, but isn't going to be the same as the next school over. Uh, so, so always looking for, for tangents. There was a book I read when I started doing more uh, enrollment marketing work called Let Them Eat Cake by Pamela Danziger. Uh, I think when I recommend this to people, I usually leave off the ER and just say Pamela Danzig for some reason. But <laughs> Pamela Danziger is about luxury marketing. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because... I wouldn't really call education a luxury, but the way it is perceived, I would say can be. Yes. So she's talking about things like, you know, the, the KitchenAid stand mixers. You know, you can get a stand mixer pretty cheap. Why do people go for essentially the same thing, but in the brand name? You know, what yep. sets it apart? You know, the same thing with cars. You know, a Hyundai or a Kia will get you from point A to point B. So if people are only going with the rational then why are they buying a Bugatti, right? Yep. It'll still get you from point A to point B. You're going to be paying a lot more. What's that reason for stepping up? I think education is a lot the same way, that there are people who see it as, well, you know, this degree is the same as that degree. And I think that that's making some mistakes because you're seeing, you're seeing what you're getting out of it as the degree. You're seeing it as a tangible product. Mm-hmm. And the degree is not a tangible product. The degree is something you can hang on your wall, but that really doesn't matter at all. It's what did you do? What did you learn? What are the experiences? And I think there's there's not enough focus always on that being the product. The experience is the product. It is not the degree. You're not buying a degree. You're not paying for this thing that will probably wind up in a drawer. Or, you know, I honestly don't, know where my degree is you can see neither I do have, i <laughs> no i mean <laughs> you once you move a couple times you don't know where it is <laughs> but i will always remember those experiences and that's what i was paying for was those experiences and you know i i could have paid more and had the same experience i could have paid less and had better experiences i don't know but you're not buying a piece of paper yeah I do want to hang on that for a bit because I've also read, I've read that book. It's sitting um, somewhere behind me on my bookcase. And I've, I've actually, because of my background in independent schools, I spent a lot of time and in law firms actually reading books about customer service and luxury marketing, because those are both luxury goods. You know, even though you aren't necessarily paying for a product, you are paying for an experience. 
I would really challenge people as they think about education in general, about you know what what that really looks and feels like. Because you're right, especially at a time where in higher ed, a lot of people are consistently questioning the value of the credential. Mm-hmm. It's about so much more than that in that piece of paper. It's about the connections that you make mm-hmm. and the experiences that you have that might actually pull you out of what you're used to. You know, I, I, th- I think there's a lot of value, and this is something that, well, you and I have talked about before outside the podcast. There's so much value in, especially if you leave, you know, your your hometown or your home state, People to, do that. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there, in, in, even in K-12, the experience of being in a classroom versus being only online, a lot of families mm-hmm. really felt that last year. I, I just, I wanted to kind of hang on that for a little bit because I think that's a really, really important point about what education is really about. You know, it's not just test scores or a certificate or a diploma or, you know, a, a, a product, but that experience really can inform and shape what happens to people and the type of human being that you become in the world. And that's a big deal. Yeah. I don't know anyone that says, I got this job because of my diploma. It's, I got it because of the qualifications I had. You know, I knew how to do X, Y, Z. You know, I was... I had this network. I had, you know, it's the the things, not I mean, I, I don't know anyone who their entire job hiring process is I want to see your diploma. If it has the right name on it, yep, you're hired. Yeah. I mean, yep. I'm sure there's some consulting firms and things that will do that, but you know, that's not not the case for anyone I know. Exactly. This is gonna come a shock if anyone has met me and knows me. One of the main ways I brainstorm I'm bringing new ideas in all the time is that I just absolutely devour information you know it's I'm constantly I'm fascinated by ideas I want to collect as much as I can I want to think about things in all sorts of ways so it's an enormous number of podcasts and reading blogs and reading the newspaper and attending webinars and and reading articles on LinkedIn and Twitter and you know my my strengths finder uh, my, my top strengths are ideation responsibility, relator, analytical, and input, uh, which I know makes me sound like I'm just a computer and you're just inputting <laughs> data. But, uh, you know, I'm, I, I want to know everything that's out there. I want to keep learning. I want to keep seeing what is there out there that I don't know yet that I can learn from. And maybe that is in education. Maybe that's in related fields. Maybe it's in completely unrelated areas. If I want to know about user experience, you know, I'm not going to just look at what other colleges are doing and, and what other schools are doing for their visit programs, for their email, for their student services. I want to know how are airlines handling it? How are car rental companies handling it? How are, you know, how are we providing an experience where people want to engage and want to come back? That's one of the things with, with retention being such a focus. You know, I don't know that there's always enough focus on, yes, price sensitivity and pricing is, is always going to be the biggest issue. But making it something people are saying, yeah, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's absolutely worth it because of these experiences. That's why people stick around. They don't leave just because of the price. They leave because of a mismatch between their experience and the price. So there's a little bit of a tangent there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it. I love reading. I love watching webinars, listening to podcasts, just 
devouring as much information as I can and asking lots of questions. So I have to ask, because you asked me the same thing, but I'm <laughs> sure that our listeners would love to know if you have some favorite podcasts that that you recommend. And I also know that you are an avid tweeter, um, I so I would love that, to yeah. know if you've got some must-follow Twitter accounts that you can share. Oh my. You know, you would think that I would have planned ahead for that. <laughs> I would say that there's three different types of podcasts I listen to. There's the education specific there's the tangents and there's just the plain fun stuff that have nothing to do with anything so you know not all of these are are active i I really like 31 minutes from ha31 uh that was very much education marketing focused i was involved with case as well uh so i was always interested in how are other parts of campus doing marketing how are other parts of campus engaging with customer experience there's a great one called advancement legends podcast with ryan catherwood the ALP, the Admissions Leadership Podcast, absolutely fantastic. On the tangents, uh, 99% visible. Uh, I love design. I love thinking about what works and what doesn't in design. Let's see, the Higher Ed Marketing Lab is a great one, is specifically about, as you might guess, lab work. <laughs> Higher Voltage is another, another great one. Again, getting into enrollment marketing. Uh, there's some barbecue podcasts. Uh, oh, yes, we do. You do love a smoked meat. I <laughs> love barbecue. Bebo University podcast, another great one. Jeremy Branch is kind of he's branching out uh, into different areas as well. It's basically everything he loves. So you get some really good conversations with counselors, but then he's also dropping in sports and and fashion and all that. Talks with Thompson. Oh, there's too many in here. Uh, I, I know I'm going to forget someone. Uh, the servant marketer. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. I, I love servant leadership in general. I love her take on how that translates into marketing. There's this this podcast, the Enrollment Insights Podcast. I love listening to that. <laughs> There's a lot out there. So it's you kind of have to pick and choose. But as far as Twitter goes, I use lists for everything. Um, yeah, I have a lot of lists. So I'm not just being bombarded with random information. So I have one for just enrollment marketers. And I think all these are actually on my profile. If anyone wants to just follow them, you can do that too and see exactly what I'm doing. One for higher ed leaders. So I just see the leadership organizations. So the the regional professional development organizations. Yeah. And then, of course, the hashtag EM chat, uh, the enrollment management chat that happens every Thursday. Uh, <laughs> great community of people who get together and just talk about enrollment management topics. I've learned an enormous amount since 2014 there. That's the long answer to a short question. I, I love it. It's a very comprehensive list. And I, as you know, also struggled to name all of the yeah. podcasts that I subscribe to. I actually had to cheat a little bit and open yeah. up Apple Podcasts because I could not remember them all. I'm probably a little oversubscribed, but, um, <laughs> but that's that's a great list yeah. for sure. I've cut it down to only 71 subscriptions right now. Um, oh, gosh. I, 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 even... it's, I mean, there's the fun ones in there too. And then I have a couple of their kids' stories. So if we're Taking yes. longer drives, having stories loaded up for the kids. Oh yeah, we I, I have some of those as well. Yep. So you know, it's, <laughs> it's good to have a range. Everybody needs some variety. So yep. that's that's it. And you might learn something from a kids podcast too. So there's nothing yep. wrong with that. Yep. So you have been working in education for a while, and you've obviously done some different things. You were in the classroom at one point. You've worked in higher ed admissions. So what keeps it fresh and interesting for you? Yeah. And, and I actually even grew up in the classroom because my parents are both teachers. 
So oh I my spent goodness. my summers in the classroom <laughs> helping organize and try out new things and organizing stock rooms and sorting books. And I, I've been around education for a little bit. I think one of the things I like, it's cyclical. So you know what to expect. You know what's coming. But every cycle is different. You know, the, the leading trends are different. Every group of students is different. You're going to try different things. You're going to have new challenges. There's always going to be some, some crisis, big or small, that comes up. Maybe it's a global pandemic. Maybe it's, you know, the <laughs> application goes down uh, the, the week before the deadline. So I, I like it that it's a reset button every year. Hey, this class we struggled with, we're going to reset. Next year is going to be great. Every time it's new people, it's new ideas, it's new things to try. I think the big thing for me, though, that really keeps it fresh is that I just have this, this culture of optimization. Like always be learning from what you did, collect all sorts of data, you know, see what worked, what didn't. And you have to look at both the qualitative and the quantitative. You can't just look at the hard numbers of we had X attendees at an event yep. uh, and this many enrolled, this many visited, this many deposited, you know, okay, what were they the right types of students? Were they, you know, were they all students who then wound up being these pullers who could then pull in more students? You know, maybe it was a small event, but if you got a few students who were really engaged and got more students from their old high school or their old stomping grounds to come and apply, that's a, that's a win. You know, that's yeah. something that is amplifying, you know, whereas a giant event, huge attendance, you know, but then everyone was saying it was a subpar experience. That's not a win. You know, maybe you need to be thinking about more targeted, smaller events. So you can't always look at the quantitative. That's great. Those are those are some great points. I do think that there's a lot to be said about looking at expanding how you define data. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not yeah. just the raw numbers, but you're also looking at what actually happened, what type of narrative feedback you get if you're doing surveys and, and even just things that you hear from people as they're walking in and out the door. There's there's yeah. a way to look at data more comprehensively as you're making decisions. And, and even just that. keeping notes of what's the general vibe even, you know, are, are yeah. people, are the parents smiling? Are they engaging? Are they yeah. asking questions? I mean, a big event where nobody's engaged and they're just staring at you. Yep. You might or as well just phones. have that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's what you're seeing, just make an on-demand video. Because if yeah. you're not going to engage them anyway, then what's the point of making them drive to campus? You know, yeah. get them engaged. Make sure that there's there's some joy in it. Make sure that there's engagement. I always described it when I'm speaking at, at events. It should be a dialogue, not a monologue. Yeah. You know, if what you're doing seems like someone standing on a street corner with a megaphone. It's not a good social post. It's not a good event. There needs to be the back and forth. Uh, I love that of advice, especially if you are able to do things in person, take advantage of that. There are things that lend themselves better from an engagement standpoint to in-person events than they do mm-hmm. virtually. So if you have the ability to be in a room with people, really lean into that and take advantage of it. So that they feel that connection. Because if people are, are looking at their phones and yawning while they're at an in-person event, that's not a good yeah. thing. Right? Yep. <laughs> we, we want to avoid that for sure. So this is more of a fun question. And I'm very interested in, in hearing your response to I this. I think they've all been fun. I think we can agree about that, right? I think they've all <laughs> been fun. This We'll say this one's a little lighter. How, okay. about, how about we go in, in that direction? So it's a two-parter. Okay. First part is, what did you think you would grow up to be when you were in kindergarten? 
And then what did you think you were going to be when you were a senior in high school? Kindergarten was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's hard to remember back that. The earliest I can remember, um, I always wanted to be an author. As a kid, so one of the things, my mom was a first grade teacher. And one of the things she helped with regionally was these young authors conferences. And so I would go every year and you'd work on writing skills and you'd write short stories and you'd get to meet a children's book author. And so I, I just have somewhere around here, I actually found it recently, just a bin of short stories and poems and just stuff I had written as a kid. And, wow. you know, most of it is, that is bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I, I just always, I loved writing. I was writing all the time and reading all the time. So it was just something that you know, I don't know if that was kindergarten necessarily, but uh, that's that's just the earliest. I wasn't one of those kids of I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police officer. It was I want to be an author. And what was it? It was probably third grade or so. We had a like a future career day, and you dress as your future career. And so here I am, and oh you know boy. this cool this cool third grader with uh, some fake glasses on and a <laughs> and a like a sweater vest and a little briefcase <laughs> and. That's what I thought writers dress like. That's great. So, yeah. What can I say? I was a pretty cool kid. <laughs> I was going to go with like a tweed blazer. I could see a, a tiny I, will in a tweed blazer. <laughs> I have one now, but I didn't have one then. <laughs> I have one now that I, I break out. It does not have the elbow patches, though. Oh, no patches? <laughs> no patches. There's enough patches uh, in the house. That's that's fair. Uh, <laughs> Boy, senior in high school, I was kind of back and forth between doing something in business or something in medicine. So I, what was it, my sophomore year of high school, uh, started a business doing computer networking, you know, refurbishment, cleaning up viruses. I would set up networks for local businesses, set up databases, sell new and used systems. So I did that for several years. And that's that's how I paid for college. So I thought, you know, maybe maybe I want to do something in business. But by senior year, I was also seeing, well, looking ahead, everyone's going to be able to know how to build their own computer. They're going to know how to, and this was before laptops got big. Oh, uh, yeah. So so now that's not quite the case. But <laughs> uh, in the world of desktops, you know, it was easy to do. We would teach classes on how to build your own. You know, there were there were 70 year old ladies who were building their own computer. I don't I didn't think that there was going to be a long term viability there with medicine. I had a injury again, sophomore year of high school, part of why I wound up, I had all of a sudden all this free time. I was, I went from three sport athlete to no sport athlete. Oh. Um, so I had this injury and I was spending three days a week in the hospital. And so I, you know, it was like, oh, okay. I, I mean, this is interesting. Again, probably hard to believe. I was asking a lot of questions throughout <laughs> chatting up the the nurses, the doctors, learning everything I could about everything going on the MRIs and the x-rays I'm asking about each and every little dot on there. <laughs> so I actually entered college initially, I think it was management and accounting. And then I was kind of waffling back and forth and, and went pre-med. And then my, my first year, I got a chance to do a research project first semester. My advisor was also senior engineer at NASA Glenn. And wow. so we did a chemistry lab where we were designing new materials for batteries using a process called intercalation. So it's basically these these fiber mats of graphite. Uh, and then we would basically pump in gases in there to it would it would make them slightly thicker, but also change their conductivity and change the properties of them. And I just love the puzzle of research. I got hooked on research and 
you know, I think it, well, that's not necessarily senior year, but going into first semester of, of first year of college, that's kind of where I was. So young Will had no ambition and was super lazy. That is our takeaway from, oh, goodness. That is the absolute biggest takeaway is Uh, I basically just laid on the floor and stared at the ceiling fan all day. I mean, (laughs) and look at you now. Wow. Now now I have a job and lay on the floor and stare at the ceiling fan all day. (laughs) That is quite the story. (laughs) That is quite the story. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and get into a little bit more uh, of of the, you know, the stuff that we deal with day to day. Mm -hmm. How has your perspective on enrollment marketing changed since you moved to Niche from being on a single campus Mm -hmm. in-house in higher ed? Yeah. And, and shout out to Liz Gross for, for pitching this question. Yes. Uh, Yeah. You know, I think this is where things have really kind of supercharged growth. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like, but getting to see how things are done on so many different types of colleges, types of schools, you know, seeing how parents are engaged at K-12s has altered my thinking of how to engage parents for colleges. That's something I, I worked with both undergrad and grad, but at one institution for nine years. And so getting to see, you know, I might be on the phone with a large public flagship and then you know, later in the afternoon, I'm on the phone talking to a small private Baptist institution in the South. Very, very different processes, very, very different ways of solving the same problems. I was very surprised of how far ahead of the curve we were in a lot of things. Mm. And then just some of the areas that we could grow and some of the things we could take back and think about. I think now, especially we've, we've looking at some of the benchmarking of outsourcing information from schools and how different sources of, of student inquiries and prospects are performing in terms of enrollments and applications. I'm much less sold on large scale travel as an outreach tactic. You know, I think it's still important to do some tactical travel, meet with counselors, but using it as a way to fill your funnel, I'm much less sold on after seeing overall how it's performing for institutions. So as my, my podcast co-host, what has been your favorite topic to learn about since you started the podcast? You can oh, only pick one. I know. That's <laughs> tough. And we're, we're at almost 50 episodes now. And, and so that was challenging. My first thought was, okay, I'll have a bracket and I'll try and start narrowing down. But <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're trying to narrow down your favorite kid from 50 kids, you know, how do you do that? So I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm fascinated by failure. Ooh. Everyone wants to talk about their success. What have you done well at? And this carries over. And Jenna, our manager, I know will tell you the same thing. I think everyone that I've managed can say the same thing. I'm not that interested in the in the pats on the back. Hey, you did this great. I want to know what I fail at. And I have that same interest in others. What are you trying that's not working? Because I think there's two different routes you can go. It's if someone just has one or two little things, minor things they can think of, okay, that's an opportunity to try bigger things, dream bigger, try more things. Mm-hmm. If it's, hey, we tried this, we failed, so we iterated on it and we tried modifying it in this way, next year it worked great. Okay, awesome. We learned from that failure. I think there's also the, well, I tried this, it failed, so we never try it again. You know, yes. That, 
you know, that that's the, you know, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and that's their approach in a lot of things. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I want, and that's part of the reason that that question is right up front. I want to know what did you try? What are you dreaming about? What's, what's in your back of your mind that you're picking at and trying to find a solution to? Um, and, and hopefully you just keep failing over and over because you're not going to learn if you succeed on the first try. I think there's a lot to unpack with that one because the box cutter. It, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> in case you can't tell, Will is always ready with a pun or a great joke <laughs> and it makes our meetings a lot of fun. You know, um, I just hate dad jokes. I'm yeah. <laughs> It's the king of dad jokes. Maybe we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> we can just spend a whole episode on dad jokes. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that especially so LinkedIn is a favorite platform of mine. But mm-hmm. an, observa- an observation that I have made recently is that it has become the Instagram of business. And what I mean by that is that I I think there's so much celebration of success and hustling and promotions and job changes. And there's not enough conversation about failure. And what's so important about that is not just the opportunity for introspection and the ability to say, okay, what can I do better? Or how can I learn from this? But also just being able to recognize that oh, someone else made that mistake Mm -hmm. or to be able to relate to other people as human beings and to recognize that failure is actually okay is really, really important. And and to your point, failing and not trying something again, that is the sort of elementary school aged approach (laughs) too, because my eight-year-old is guilty of that as well. But as adults and as employees and professionals, it's really important to be able to look at that and recognize that it's okay. That's actually how we grow. And also to make time and space for it. Because one thing that I know definitely happens in the K-12 space, I'd be interested in hearing your take for higher ed, is that there's always this focus on the next thing and on executing and moving forward that there isn't often time and space to stop and look back. And so what can end up happening is you may be continuing to do things that aren't working, but you haven't taken the time to really reflect on the fact that they aren't working or even notice that they aren't working. And so part of that failure is actually, it's part of the optimization process, right? And making sure that you're spending your time and your budget and your resources on things that are serving you as opposed to things that might not be. Yeah, there's just not enough time and effort placed on the retrospectives. And I don't know if it's lack of having a, a project manager or someone who can help facilitate it. If it's, well, we're going to do this again because that's what we've always done. Uh, you know, this is a this is one of our tentpole programs that we've done every year. And so we have to keep yeah. doing it. OK, but if it's not working, it's not working. And if yeah. there is, then what are the next steps? What's the strategy to fix it? Right. You know, knowing that something's broken is very different than having a strategy to fix it. Yeah. Those are two different steps. We talked about this earlier too, that doing a, doing a strengths finder or doing a disc assessment or doing whatever and having that information and then never using it. Okay. So what was the point of doing it in the first place? Doing a program, whether that's an off campus, a virtual and on campus, and then never following up and evaluating it and optimizing it. Why even do it in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not a good use of anyone's time yeah. and it's, it's actually a demotivator. You know, when you mm-hmm. have people who 
are on the front lines executing that work and you're just executing day in and day out without actually taking time to reflect on what's working and make it better. Or you're taking the time to do a disk profile or strengths yeah. finder and then it goes into the void. That's not helpful either. So that's, that is something that we would advise people to avoid doing. Yes. I'm going to take a tangent now and like ask that. about, since you love tangents, yeah. who is someone or who are some people in higher education that you admire and why? Oh, I, I had to narrow it down. I couldn't pick a person. So I had to <laughs> so narrow it down. 30. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a list. <laughs> no, I, I think one of the things, and this was actually something that, that I learned from a, a coworker uh, named Jay Hampton no matter who it is you're working with, learn something from them. I just have a lot of respect for a lot of people because I've learned something from so many people. There's the people I work directly with, Adam Homan. He was my my mentor, my boss for so long at Manchester that he he is someone that has the quantitative thinking but marries it so perfectly with such deep empathy mm. um, that it's something that I kind of strive for. You know, How do you focus on the people first while you're also trying to optimize, while you're also trying to learn and build strategies. Joe Young Switzer, who was president of Manchester for several years, just someone who cared so deeply for everyone, was just a champion for anyone's success. There's a, a quote that we used that I still I keep, still keep handy that she gave when she retired in her, in her last, I'll get the terminology wrong here, but whatever it is during graduation when the president speaks, yeah. uh, she said, there is immense power in simple kindness. Mm. And that really sums her up perfectly. You know, other people I've worked directly with, Angie Huffman, uh, she's at Purdue now, but absolutely fantastic. She was, there's another quote of hers that I also keep handy. I don't know that she even knows that I, I keep this handy. Some kids just need a supportive adult to believe in them. And that can be you. Wow. She worked for so long with students in Indianapolis public schools and so many kids who should be, you know, just these absolute rock star students but when your home life is a train wreck yeah. um, you know that that affects kids and there's it's not always about our students academically prepared for college if they're also having to work to support younger brothers and sisters and mom or dad are in out of jail or in out of their lives entirely you know how is that affecting the kids so if she just would go all in with every student other other people i learned from kyle grubbs who was just one of the most positive people that you can imagine. She is my complete opposite when we did Strengths Finder in the office uh, because she is all in on Woo uh, and, and <laughs> much less interested in the in the data analytics, but just super kind person, always optimistic. Other people that I've met through organizations and things, um, Sasha Timi uh, at IU, absolutely wonderful person. She is very, very inquisitive, which is one of the things that I've, I've really tried to take away. You will find her more often than not asking questions and listening, even though she has so much expertise, uh, she's the one constantly learning. Uh, and that goes for a lot of people. But I always said that if I was going to pick up and leave and go somewhere else, she and Mitch Warren at Purdue would be great ones to work from because mm. they care very deeply for people. They are extremely experienced and they are just absolute rock stars. DJ Menifee, he's at Susquehanna now. Uh, Susque oh, I always get that wrong. Susquehanna? Susquehanna. Susquehanna. <laughs> that's, that's ah. <laughs> okay, let's edit that out. Susquehanna. DJ is just, 
he is, if you want to picture someone who is laser focused on professional development and building others up, there's going to be a picture of DJ there. Uh, he is someone who is always there for others, constantly learning, sharing what he learns. Others I've learned from, uh, Tom Voller Burdan, uh, he was a guest on the podcast. He and I met when he reached out because he wanted to build this cohort of people who could, um, you know, basically open up their playbooks. They weren't going to be direct competitors, but wanted to talk about how can we all help each other make our enrollment marketing better? And Tom is just so sharp. He, he is another one who is constantly testing, constantly optimizing and reporting out what he does. Awesome guy. And then Janielle Struther and Alex Williams for starting the EM chat community. Again, started with questions, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to learn more, wanting to engage. And they've just been absolutely tremendous. That's a great list. And I can understand now why it was so hard for you to pick yeah. one. No. Oh, and, and another one that, that I've, I've never actually met. He, he first came up in conversations where I was at the Illinois Middle Management Institute back in 2013, I want to say. He, John Bockenstedt, the way everyone spoke of him so highly. So just a tremendous amount of respect there. I've never actually met him, but you know he's one that I, I constantly look to of if I can provide data in a way that is consumable as he does, then that'll be a big achievement. That's a fantastic list. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that there are, are many, many others. And that's why it was so hard to narrow down. It's like, oh, but then, you know, I can think of these people, these people, and I'm feeling I'm leaving dozens out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually have pulled up on another monitor because I'm, I'm one of those crazy people that have four monitors on my desk. <laughs> I have a list of quotes, sort of the, hey, remember these things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm looking at some of those now and it's like just so many tremendous people. I do that with post-its. I have different post-its on the bottoms of my monitors. I'm only a two monitor desk, but I (laughs) I have, I have post-its with, with lots of quotes that, um, from people I know and personally and people I don't just to kind of, you know, some good reminders to have for sure. And, you know, I'm sure anyone that you may have missed people can find on some of your Twitter lists. So (laughs) we'll refer people back to those as well. So with our last question, because I did a little bit of a look ahead for mine, we'll do a look back for yours. So this is a (laughs) retrospective, but you have done so much research in the last year. I am truly in awe of how much research you've done. And I know that you're working on some additional segmentation as we speak. I'm inquisitive. (laughs) So what have been some of the biggest surprises for you in higher education and enrollment marketing in the last year. Yeah. And this one, I have to give a hat tip to Akil Bello. He asked a question again, very inquisitive about students who weren't taking any visits at all, because we we've seen this growing trend of students taking fewer and fewer visitors. You know, Mm -hmm. it'd been steadily increasing, but then pandemic hits and the number of students who didn't visit any college prior to enrolling doubled. This year, it doubled again, about 30% of students not visiting any college prior to enrolling. In conversations, other people say it's not such a big deal. I still think it is. I think mostly because where I'm coming from and the students I've worked with have been primarily first-generation students who, if their parents haven't been on campus either, you know, what's your... What's your experience then? How, what, what are you expecting out of college? You know, are you going based off of the pictures and the virtual tours? Are you going off of Van Wilder? You know, what do you, <laughs> what do you think college is going to be like if, if you don't have that experience? You know, it's just, 
yeah, the, those sorts of things. I could, I, I, I always think back to a couple interactions with parents. One was a student who hadn't visited any campuses and the mom called, you know, in, in tears because she didn't know what to do. Her son was the first person she knew who graduated high school. Wow. Not, not the first person in her family, the first person she knew to graduate high school. So she's like, do we have to get an apartment? Do we have, what, what's the process? Someone like that with not only do they not have that experience, you know, they don't have others they can call on. So if you're mm-hmm. not getting to campus where you can talk one-on-one, you can see everything you see. Okay. Here's what I'm going to need to do. Here's why I can expect. Can you imagine the culture shock stepping foot on campus? You know, yeah. just enormous or, or me growing up, I grew up on a dirt road in a County of 6,000. You know, if, wow. I had, if I had gone to Arizona state, can you imagine the culture shock step, stepping foot on campus? Oh my goodness. You know, there's things like that, that yeah, the pictures can look nice, but you need to know what to expect as well. So I think right. that's, that's something that I see it as a concern, price sensitivity, just this increasing mm-hmm. concern about the cost. Some founded, some not. People still love printing the headlines of hundreds of thousands in debt. Well, yes, if you're a doctor. Right. <laughs> the, I mean, the the median was still in the mid to high 20s compared to buying a new car. Right. Which of those is going to appreciate in value, which is going to depreciate? You know, so, but there, there's just this increasing number of students who are saying, I will not even apply to a college over X mm-hmm. because I'm not even going to wait and see why I get in financial aid. That's too much. And I've used this example before, but but I like it, and it's it's lunchtime here, so I'm going to say it again. But uh, <laughs> it, college is priced so differently than anything else because if I go down to Powers Hamburgers here in downtown Fort Wayne, if I see that's a dollar twenty five for a burger, I expect to pay a dollar twenty five. I don't expect it to say a dollar twenty five, and they say, okay, that'll be fifty cents. Right. But that's that's how things are priced. Mm-hmm. When you apply you don't know what that final bill is going to be. Yeah. It's, it's very different. And so I can see why there is that price sensitivity because if you see 40,000, okay, but I can't pay 40,000 and, right. and the comeback, well, everyone gets scholarships and nobody pays that. Okay. But I still don't know what I'm paying. Right. You know, is it worth my time to apply and get my hopes up and visit and do all these steps for a place that's not going to be affordable? That's one that just seeing that the number of students ruling out colleges prior to enrolling increase over and over again. We're at 75% for the class of 2022. Said that they were, we've known for a long time it's a problem, but not enough people are taking steps to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, The other thing that's interesting to me that I keep really kind of harping on that I don't know that enough's being done about again, you know, I'll grab my soapbox here for a moment. There's just this <laughs> growing interest in the arts and decreasing interest in athletics. Yeah. And we've seen that over the past year and a half and it just keeps growing. This divide of more students now saying that the arts matter to them when they select a college and fewer students saying athletics matter, both as a fan and as a student athlete. And yet think about the number of athletic recruiters and the number of oh, yeah. assistant coaches versus the number of music recruiters, the number of, you know, we're going to have a recruiter for our opera. We're going to have a recruiter for our violin quartet. There's just not that same level of recruitment and investment. You know, I, I think that 
trying to step that up would be really interesting to see how that affects incoming classes. You know, are yeah. you going to are you going to get more attention for that? Are you going to draw more attention because of that? And who will be among the first to take that step? Yeah. I mean, there's absolutely, I mean, there's colleges that already have, but they're ones typically that have a very heavy emphasis in the arts. Exactly. Exactly. But what about, uh, what about a, a school that doesn't have that? Right. But they still like, have, you know, you can be any major and be in the choir. You can be any major and be in the, in the symphonic band. You know, do they have dedicated arts recruiters? Right. Yeah. Right. And there, there, that's something that it's interesting. It's also been an ongoing debate, at least in among private schools. There's mm-hmm. always this sort of tension between the fine arts department and the athletics department yeah. where, you know, athletics gets a lot of attention from the media. It gets, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of social media play. It gets a lot of prominence on a school's website and, mm-hmm. you know, what families are actually interested in and what students are actually interested in don't yeah. always align with that. But the athletics departments have a tendency to get more attention and be better resourced. And so yeah. there's there's a trickle down and a trickle up that I think that we're seeing on the K-12 side yeah. as well. I mean, there, there's no ESPN equivalent for arts right? <laughs> to a degree. I mean, but you yeah. you have, I love art in general, but there's a number of artists I follow on Instagram. You know, there's mm-hmm. people who will do things on Twitch. There's people who will do things on TikTok. There are these outlets. Are they being used for recruiting though? In the same way of like a Max Preps or something else where mm-hmm. students will upload their their highlight reel. You know, are students uploading their highlight reel of singing, of playing, right. of, you know, doing graphic design? Yes and no, but I don't know that it's being recruited in the same way. Yeah. That'll definitely be something to watch in the years ahead. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation, Will. Thank you so much. Hopefully our our listeners have enjoyed getting the opportunity to know us both. So this has been a fun experiment. Yeah, I I like it. It, It's something that Janice Chang McConnell was was kind of needling me to do back when I interviewed (laughs) her. And so so Janice, you you got your wish here. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Thank you, Janice. (laughs) and thanks again well yeah thank you and uh happy new year happy 2022 to everybody 